Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a much-anticipated episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this conversation again this week is Kales. What's up? But wait, there's more. Making a triumphant special return this week, in his black sweatsuit, of course, is our resident Superman superfan, Patrick. What's up, everybody? Glad to be back for a minute. We are glad to have you. Even though Patrick isn't quite back from his break yet, for good. But we knew that like the Justice League itself, we had to unite the whole team in order to tackle this one. We are all big fans of Snyder's vision for the DCEU and we had all been excitedly awaiting his vision of Justice League and we are all extremely pumped to dig into it now together. So we hope that you will enjoy this. First things first, a quick announcement. I wanted to let everyone know that on our recent FF Plus episode that we'll be publishing Monday morning, March 22nd, we reviewed a film called Nobody. Uh, that's a spoiler-free review, so no harm in listening to that. No worries there. But the important part is that we have two giveaways that are part of that episode. And the only way you're going to find out how to enter those giveaways is to listen to that episode. There's uh, something for News of the World, and there's also something for Promising Young Woman. So if you're interested in owning copies of either of those films... You definitely want to check that out. We also talked about what the special features of the 4K News of the World disc had to offer. So great episode. Be sure and check that one out in addition to this one. We have partnered up with Letterboxd, the best social media app on earth. If you are a film pursuers and you want to check out what your friends are watching or also track what you are watching and have the opportunity to see stats, then give this app a try. We currently have an offer if you put in the code FEELINGFILM, and that's F-E-E-L-I-N, you can get 20% off a pro or a Patreon subscription. And if you already have an account, the code will work just the same if you want to renew or upgrade your membership. Awesome. All right. Well, with that out of the way, it's time to jump into the movie. And we're going to start with our one more takeaways, as always. And Patrick, since you're kind of, sort of, actually a guest today, we're going to let you sit in the, quote, guest chair and go first. It's a comfortable guest chair. I've never actually had the, the fortune of trying it, but it feels pretty comfortable to me. <laughs> I picked Satisfied, and I remember coming out of the original theatrical cut and being really excited. I have no problem admitting that. I, I felt like it was something that I was ready for, and leaving the theater, I was like, that was really, really great. And of course, this is in the midst of the MCU pretty much dominating the comic book world. Joss Whedon obviously put his Whedon touch on it. And I didn't notice any kind of digital mustache being removed. And it wasn't until the conversation, Aaron, with you and Andrew Dice over at Screen Rant that I sort of had a revelation where, oh, you know what? Maybe I didn't appreciate it for what it should have been. And I don't hold it in low regard. But after revisiting Man of Steel, we covered it on the show during our Batman Superman month. And then this time around watching Batman v Superman prior to getting a chance to watch Snyder's director cut for our amazement, I absolutely feel satisfied in what I got. 
the experience of getting to see Justice League as Zack Snyder wanted to show it really allowed me to experience not only the satisfaction of all these characters coming together on the big screen like we anticipated with Avengers, but done so in a way that was very much a Snyder unification. This was not a DC versus Marvel. This is really almost the appropriate time to have a movie like this exist because there's nobody thinking about it competing with something else. And being able to see it from his director's chair vision allowed me to really feel a sense of satisfaction knowing that Zack Snyder got to make the movie he wanted to make and we got a chance to experience it. And so for me, I think I I don't know that I felt as satisfied about anticipating a film coming out as I I did with this one. I I remember going to the midnight feature of Man of Steel and really loving it. And then, of course, seeing it get pooped on and feeling like, did I miss something? (laughs) And seeing all the great reviews for the Justice League really lining up with how I felt about it just made me feel completely satisfied in my movie experience. And if it weren't for the length, I'd probably just rewatch it tonight. But I may this week while my family's on vacation in Texas, just do a piecemeal re-experience of it because I just loved it so much. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. What about you, Kales? What did your one word takeaway come out as? Reclamation. It's been common knowledge now that Zack Snyder, he had a vision for what he wanted to do with Justice League. And we saw in 2017 that his vision didn't come to pass. And there was a lot of personal issues going on in the background, such as involving his family, but also that his um, vision was being interfered with by the studio. And uh, it came to a point where he ended up getting replaced by Josh Reedon. And what was thought to be a collaboration or Whedon coming in to do just some little rewrites, Whedon ended up replacing him and pretty much rewriting the whole film and leaving a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. And if you're a fan of the original Justice League, then more power to you. But for me, when I went to see that film opening night, something felt off. Something felt that it was missing. When I watched the trailers, I saw a lot of things that were not in this film and it was just so chaotic and awkward and I felt just kind of disappointed. And in this day and age, it's very hard for a director to be able to pull off their own vision and own direction for what they want to do. Because you're not only competing with studio heads who want films to be lighter fare so they can get more butts in the seats, or they can make a lot more money, or they want to have a certain kind of template to follow that they see other people are following, which is what Patrick mentioned with the DC versus Marvel. But... I was glad to finally see that Snyder was able to bring what he had for the Justice League, what he saw for these heroes, what he even saw for the villains, such as Steppenwolf, and the promise of what he wanted to bring with the sequels. We're finally seeing that with the Snyder cut, and I feel that Snyder can be proud to know that he was able to bring this film to pass, because it wasn't known if this was ever going to come to fruition. I mean, it took a lot of um, social media hype. It took a lot. It took even the actors, actors such as Ray Fisher coming out, Jason Momoa coming out and saying, hey, we want the Snyder Cut. We want our characters to be seen in a better light than what was seen in the Josh Whedon Cut of Justice League. And now that we have that, 
it feels gratifying to see that this film has completely it's 180 in my head now. Now I have a more high opinion of the Justice League brand. And now I'm excited to see more of what this universe can give us. I'm hoping that the success of this and the good critical reception that it's getting is getting its negative press, of course, but the good critical reception that I'm seeing and the high numbers of people watching this, I'm hoping that it can get Warner Brothers to get behind having Snyder come through and make more of these DC films because I love his vision and I believe in him. And it's great. Well, I, I can echo everything you guys said, and I chose a very simple word, which is epic. Much has been made about the length and whether or not it, quote, needed to be four hours long or not. In fact, I've engaged in several annoying Twitter arguments about that very thing already. And I can tell you, for me, personally, I wish it was longer. I would have been just fine sitting through another two hours of character development and detail addition to this story because I think it all is beneficial. And I can think of almost nothing that was not improved by this version. The only thing I can think of in this entire film that I miss not being there that was in Whedon's cut is a post credit scene with Superman and the Flash. I miss that. But it's a very humorous moment and... It doesn't fit with the tone of Zack's movie. And that's the whole point, right? All of that had to go, even the one or two decent humorous moments that Whedon had. And this is undeniably Snyder's vision through and through, whether it's visual, whether it's his character strengths, and it includes his divisive needle drops at times. And honestly, his sometimes awkward way, I think, of framing humor in the midst of heavy dramatic moments, it doesn't always hit perfectly or feel natural. It doesn't draw attention to itself in the way that a Whedon film does. I thought that Victor and Barry obviously benefit big time in this cut from having more backstory, more explanation to their characters. There's so much more in here about the overall plot and what a mother box is and why it matters and why it's scary. I thought it was riveting from start to finish. I sat there and I watched for four hours straight. I did not stop it and do it in pieces. I had the time and I didn't even question whether or not. I just was engaged. The time flew by for me from one chapter to the next. It's emotional, it's exciting, and it feels epic because it takes its time to build up to something. And I think it's as good as it possibly could have been, honestly given the circumstances of how he had to piece this together years after the fact and seeing how great it ended up being just made me more angry <laughs> that Whedon's cut really even exists. And I think that this is just incredible storytelling and it, and it, like you guys said, I agree. It makes me wish that his run in the DCU was not over yet as well. And I would absolutely welcome anything more from him. Well, this is the time we give you our spoiler alert. We are going to spoil the movie. Honestly, guys, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. I feel like this is more of like a geek out fest because really the plot's the same. There's very few changes to the main plot. If you've seen Justice League, which has been out for three or four years, like we know how it ends, right? We know the main beats of this story. And this is less about like a normal way of breaking down a movie and more of just a like, hey, what did we love? Because... 
we had so much fun with this and what did we like about it? And so I kind of, I want to start by talking about the length because it is something that is important to like, I don't know. People have different, different opinions about the length of the film and the method of the film's delivery. So it's a four hour movie, but it is cut into six chapters, seven, if you count the very lengthy epilogue section. And originally Snyder had said it was going to be released in an episodic format as well as one chunk. So people would be able to, I guess, psychologically enjoy the the fact that they watched a part and had a clean break versus watching a part and I guess pausing and coming back to it after that. So I wondered for you guys, what do you think the benefits and the challenges were for this decision? Like why did he end up in this place of one four hour cut? And do you think that it's a miss to not try and release this theatrically now? Or do you think that much like previously, it couldn't be released theatrically because it's four hours long? I can tell you, I don't think there was ever a chance that Snyder's vision was going to be released in four hour cut. And I understand that from a studio perspective, from a business perspective, it's hard to get butts in seats. I was actually very surprised that Avengers Endgame at three hours long was able to get the butts in seats that it did. I think the tone of that movie, the family kind of lighthearted nature helps with that. The dark, heavy nature of Zack's storytelling, I don't think was going to get you the amount of people into a theater to see a four hour long movie, even with an intermission, because it's just not something we see these days. I don't, I mean, even with, you know, we just don't, we don't, we go, we can go back and see films like this, like Lawrence of Arabia on special classic night, but it's not something that comes out on a regular basis. And I don't think audiences are conditioned to that. So I understood why the studio might not have ever released this. But I also can tell you, me personally, I would pay money in a heartbeat to go watch this in IMAX the way that Snyder envisioned it being given to us. Because I think it would be incredible to see and feel and just hear with that format. And I also personally don't have any problem with the link being four hours. Like I said, I, w I wanted more. I didn't need multiple sections to get through this. I thought that the chapter breaks were really well done. And I thought that they serve as a great stopping point for people who, if you watched for 45 minutes and you needed to go to the store, then chapter two starts, you hit pause, you stop the movie, and you just come back and hit play when you're ready. I don't think you necessarily need, but again, I understand the psychological aspect but for me, the psychological aspect of not having those breaks and it just free flowing in one natural progression actually was a benefit. So what did you think about that, Kalis? For me, I don't ever have a problem with the length of a film. For me, it's all important that a film can immerse me in its storytelling if I can bond with the characters in a certain kind of way. And if the pacing is good enough, I can stay, I can sit there for four hours. Now, the challenges of that is that if you're trying to bring something like this to a theater, then you're going to have people wondering like, oh, well, this is four hours. Well, what if I have to go to the bathroom during this? What if I have a kid and they got to go to the bathroom? Like, what if this comes up? And I can understand that. The same things were being levied out when Avengers Endgame came out. And surprisingly, that turned out very well. So I could see this 
coming to theaters, but I can also understand why somebody is just not is saying I'm not willing to sit for four hours for this. I mean, you can already think about it. people. Most people are either working or they have other obligations to attend to. So for setting aside four hours in a day for a movie, it's a tough bargain. But if you're invested into this film and you were one of the people who were dying for the Snyder Cut, then I don't see how the length of this film should be a troublesome point. Um, the releasing the movie in the form of episodic chapters i would have been cool with that too and i actually originally thought that that was going to be the original intent and i could see it happening i mean the movie breaks down into parts there's a part one there's a part two and there's a part three so it easily could have been a schedule where hbo could have been like okay we're gonna we're gonna release the first two parts of this on sunday night and then next sunday we're gonna release another two parts and i think your interest still would have been right there now as far as for the people who are complaining about it being too long, well, it all comes from the perspective of what did you do you like what Zack Snyder does with this film and the story and his vision, his use of slow-mo, his use of exposition, his use of character building. Well, if you don't like that, then of course this is not going to be something you're not going to be a big fan of. But for me, four hours is what was needed to tell this story lengthily. Especially when you coming from a weeding cut where most of cyborg scenes were left on the cutting room floor, most of Flash's backstory was left on the cutting room floor, and we didn't get to see a lot of the side characters and a lot of some of the main character plot points in the original film. And this film encompasses all of that, and it tells a very enthralling and compelling story. I needed to see how cyborg his origin story. I need to see how Flash was working three or four jobs to try to get a degree in criminal law to free his dad from prison. I needed to see how Batman feels about being a recruiter and bringing all these heroes together. I need to see Superman coming back and having Lois remind him who he was so that he can come back to being Superman. I needed to see Wonder Woman and the Amazons and the historical backdrop of the battle against Darkseid. Like, all these elements were important to tell in the story because, for one... We didn't get a Cyborg solo film before this. We didn't get the Flash solo film. The only solo films we had were Wonder Woman and Batman vs. Superman, which counts as a Batman film, and Man of Steel. And Aquaman came out after this. But Aquaman is developed well in this film as well. And I think there was a benefit to bringing all this together into one four-hour-long four cut. Because it feels epic, like you said, Aaron. You know, there's films like Gone with the Wind. Lawrence of Arabia, even a film like The Irishman got the same treatment last year where people were wondering about, oh, well, you got to cut. You got to watch from this part to this part and then go to the next part, next part. And it's much easier to watch a film like this on streaming. You know, for me, when I had to go to the bathroom, I had to attend to something in the house. I could just press pause, go do what I need to do and come back to the film and get right back into it. No big issue for me. So. I love the four-hour cut, and like you, Aaron, I could have had more of this. I would have sat down and watched six hours of this if I wanted to. Now, where I could have found time in the day to do all that with my other obligations, I don't know. But I would have set, I would have made time for it. One of the things that you look at in the world that we're living in right now, I'll, I won't call it post-COVID just yet. <laughs> I'll stay optimistic and say we're getting there. Is this idea that we're going to have a lot of stuff streaming immediately? specifically with HBO products. And as I said in my one-word takeaway, I think 
the Snyder Cut comes at a great time because Warner Brothers, as a company, is finding an outlet in their digital service, their streaming service with HBO Max, to be able to promote these movies. And so from a revenue standpoint, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, and I don't want to go into all of it. But from a revenue standpoint, companies are have to, they're having to start figuring out how to make money differently. And will theaters come back? I don't know. If they do come back, will people really want to go? I was having a conversation with my brother today. He watched Wonder Woman 1984. He stopped after 15 minutes. Would he have done that if he was in the theater? Would he have walked out? Probably not. Because there's a difference when you go to a theater. You're committed. You pay the $20 to go see this. And so you're already kind of financially invested, socially invested, emotionally invested. And there's this comparison you guys have made to Avengers Endgame. Yes, it was three hours long. This is another hour, guys. This is four hours. And I didn't have an issue with it, but I, I'm in the group of folks that would have a problem watching this in the theater. Knowing that ahead of time, if I'm Warner Brothers, I'm probably thinking, why not release the six months apart as a two-part deal? Which I think was the original intent, or at least an idea with the Avengers two-parter it was you know infinity war part one and two and you know part two became endgame i don't know if that was ever the russo brothers ideas to make it one long epic and just split it but this would have been fine two hours for parts one through four and then two hours for parts five through seven giving your audience a chance to digest getting at a logical stopping point for the first part and then releasing it not a year later but six months later knowing that it's already complete i think the matrix was this way Parts two and three were filmed back to back and they were released quickly right behind each other, but they gave their audience enough of a chance to sort of digest, understand, enjoy the first part in order to get ready for the second. So yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. We're talking about four years ago. We're talking about a company that was probably very much realizing that they were competing with another huge, huge comic book property. How do we do that? And everybody's got Marvel uh, MCU on the brain. How do you compete with that? In a, in a lot of ways, Aaron, you made a great point offline when we were talking about this. Zack Snyder really does paint himself into a corner. His stories are not short. None of them are. I mean, if we look at the films that we like, that most people like, they're always a director's cut. Batman v Superman, the ultimate cut, is liked by more people than the theatrical cut. The Watchmen cut the director's cut is much better than the theatrical cut and so when you look at a director like Zack snyder sometimes you have to think like like a baseball manager some guys are made for the shorter innings some guys are made as long relief pitchers and some some guys are made to close and i think Zack snyder's vision for the things that he gets his hands on are better as longer stories whether they're three hours let him have that if they're going to be longer than that we now have these platforms like HBO Max, these digital streaming services that exist more so now than they did 10 years ago, let these directors tell their stories and do it in a way that's a longer form, whether it's in parts or whether it's in just a long cut that you can pause when you need to to go to the bathroom. Does it take away from the theatrical experience? Absolutely it does. And like you guys, I would probably in six months, if Warner Brothers decided, you know what, we're going to throw this up onto IMAX. I'm going to find an IMAX theater and go see this because I know ahead of time how long this is going to be. I'm not going to drink water. 
for a couple of hours uh, before seeing this. And I'm going to go in there experiencing it from a theatrical experiential standpoint. This time around, I wanted the story. I wanted to see what Zack Snyder wanted to tell us as an audience. And I think in the future, because we have these avenues where we can tell longer stories in episodic format or just tell lengthy stories through a digital platform to give the audience their own control over how they watch a movie. To me, I think that's not the new way, but it's a new way of a studio making their money. And I think it gives directors like Zack Snyder the opportunity to tell those stories. It's why I'm thinking, I know what he was thinking because he tells us in variety and he tells us in these magazines about here's what I envisioned after this. I don't care that you told me the plot. I want to see that now. I want to see you carry out this vision, even though I know what's probably going to happen because I'm not looking to get surprised. I'm looking to just experience more of the Snyderverse. And I think that's what Justice League does so, so well is it pays off what Snyder committed to in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, not with this dark toned thing that's not MCU, but this offensive grand storytelling that he wanted to. And I love there was an article that he was quoted in as saying, look, Marvel does a fantastic thing and they do it well. I wanted to do something well from a DC standpoint. He doesn't say, I wanted to do something different from Marvel. He says, no, this is the vision I have. And I just wanted to see it come to fruition. Justice League is that coming to fruition. And I smile when I watch it because it's like, God, Zack Snyder, I'm so glad you got to do this. Because it's almost like we're trusting a guy to pay off something. And it took, what, eight years? I don't know when, when Man of Steel came out, but you know, seven or eight years to finally see it come to this point. And you see people clamoring, give us more, give us more, give us more. And I think for the first time, studios like Warner Brothers say, we have an opportunity to do that because we have a different platform that's not the theater. Maybe, maybe. I, I want to point out that combined, these two versions of Justice League cost $370 million to make. So you're not going to make that back on HBO Max. I don't care how cool it is. I don't care how many people watch it. You're just not. You're not going to make H make money, a massive amount of money off of $370 million budget. No, at, at that it, point, Aaron, though, I know, but, you're, but you, you write stuff off for the sake of the future. That's what I'm saying is, look, you can lose a ton of money for the future of what you've got. And HBO Max is not just DC. It's other things, too. And I, and I know that I, again, I don't know with the business side of things. What I'm saying is that Warner Brothers can trust a director to make, be, make more stuff, but they, it's not just DC they have. They have other properties. So fill in those gaps if you can. You're never going to make that money back. I don't care how many streaming platforms you put on, how many times people watch this. I don't think it should be the goal. I think it should be, okay, we've got the audience's trust back. Let's give them more and then make money from that. No, but what I'm saying is the only way you're going to make money from more is if you get it into the theaters and then they go. It's, it's different if they go watch it on HBO Max for $15 for a month and then they cancel or they already had it and they didn't have to pay you anything extra to get it. Then actually paying you money for IMAX for a $20 ticket to go see it in IMAX for four hours. That That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. just, I think it's very unlikely still that his vision – of this grandiose, I don't think it's going to change anything. Sadly, okay. Um, I mean, I, from a business I, perspective, I just I, it's hard for me to see that, and I wish that it would. I'm with you there. I just I man, just, I just can't see it. 
I just think if 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 the future of theaters is starting to look bleak, movie theaters are going to have to start thinking different. Not movie theaters, but production companies are going to have to start thinking differently about how to make money. And it's either going to be truncating. Their well, it's going to have to be cutting the budget. <laughs> it's going to have to be not spending three hundred seventy million on a movie in the first place. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. Agreed. I absolutely agree with that. What I would say though is, if you're getting, I don't know what the financial answer is. What I'm saying is that. There has to be a different way of thinking if it's going to be balancing good content with economic sense. And yes, I don't think you're going to get something this huge ever again unless Warner Brothers is willing to say, we're going to take a bath for the sake of great content and we're going to try to make up that bath by putting out some other things that might be more like cash cows a la Disney. Disney could make Tron 3 right now and not blink about losing money off of it because they're making so much stupid money with every other property that they own that they can afford to do that. I agree, Aaron. I think Warner Brothers doesn't have that luxury. I'm just saying that when it comes to having more digital outlets out there, the landscape is changing on how people consume content. And if the majority of people are not going to theaters, you're going to get a change. I just hope that that change isn't less quality content. Maybe it's... a a lower budget, but maybe Zack Snyder and company can find a way to be more economical with the things that they do is what I'm getting at. I mean, we're already starting to see some directors like David Fincher, you know, they're starting to say that, Hey, the only way I can get my projects or Martin Scorsese, the only way I can get my projects, you know, green lighted and actually do it the way I want to do is actually by going to the streaming services like Netflix or going to Apple TV or HBO max. So I think the problem that we're starting to see is that, what if more of the quality starts coming to these streaming services because these directors are starting to understand that these streaming services are going to bankroll whatever their vision is and and keep hands off, like back away and just let them do what they want to do. But in the theater, it's different because in the theater, you got to get to the bottom line. I mean, sadly, that's what it's coming down to. I mean, people can blame superhero films all they want to, but the theaters has always been about being about the bottom line. You know, it doesn't do much to release a, a great independent film, and it doesn't make any money. I mean, we saw that a couple years ago with Booksmart. Came out first weekend, then second weekend, it was gone by then. Had great reviews, but wasn't making a lot of money. So I think the point is, I think the point that we're starting to see is that what is the quality just going to start going to more people in the homes and leaving the theater or what does the what does the theater business have to do to make money but also get films that are actually going to get critical acclaim right inside their cineplex yeah no very very good points very good points for both of you uh it's definitely well it's one of those things we just don't know i mean we can speculate all we want but it'll be i think that the, i think what we all can agree on is that this is going to have a dent in the landscape. Like it is going to affect the future. Mm-hmm. The critical reception has been strong enough. Obviously the fan reception is through the roof and the whole movement that got this to be in existence in the first place. I think yeah. it's going to affect it and it'll be interesting to see what happens and, and how yeah. it affects it. At the very least we can agree on one thing. We have the Snyder cut and we can yes. all celebrate that. That's right. I mean, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Yes. Now put it on 4k so I can own it and not have to worry about you <laughs> Dude, yes. taking it off of HBO. Director's commentary. Yeah. All oh, stop. Oh Steelbook. man. Don't tease me. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, let's get into the meat. So again, I want to do this sort of conversational style and just, I don't want to go through the boxes. I don't want to be like, okay, let's talk about wonder woman. 
cut. Let's talk about Batman, cut. Like, we don't need chapters on the podcast, okay? So I wanted to start by, I'm going to tell you some things I liked about somebody, and then I want you guys to just jump in and go from there, and we'll eventually get through our main cast of characters and talk about what we liked about their stories in this film and how they were done. I personally really loved the way that Wonder Woman's world was expanded upon a little bit. I was let down by WW84. I really like Wonder Woman itself, you know, excluding the third act issues with the villain. But like, I love the world building of Themyscira. I don't know how to say it. The place that she's from <laughs> and the whole Amazon culture. And so I liked getting to see more of that. Specifically, there is a scene in this movie, guys, where Diana literally goes tomb raiding and I was geeking out as a massive lover of all things adventure and exploration and treasure hunting. She's going that whole the whole bit with the arrow. I don't remember that in the larger cut. I remember them mentioning something about lighting a beacon in order to let her know that something was happening. I vaguely remember that. I didn't rewatch Whedon's cut and I have no desire to ever do that again just to compare. But this time they had this arrow that they, this ceremonial special arrow they had to go find and they had to shoot it. And it was giving me like major Lord of the Ring vibes again of lighting the, the, the beacon for Gondor to see and, and call for aid and all that. And ultimately she comes. I just loved all of that. And then that led into the whole hostage sequence, which was so much truncated in the Joss Whedon version. And it's also, it was an, one of the many examples in this film where I very strongly felt the tonal difference of the storytelling. Because in the Joss Whedon cut, it's really, it's funny because he really plays up the action of that scene. But it's, it cuts the lead up. Like you don't see people getting out of their cars and coming into the building and taking it over. And there's a lot more that happens with her on the actual floor. And of course, we've got the slow motion, but it felt to me more serious. It felt like the stakes were higher. Honestly, it felt like a bigger, badder deal. And it felt more badass the way that she handled her business in that. And I, I really liked that. It just the whole thing was more melancholy right off the bat. And I thought that that was a big boost. And then. In general, like getting to see the Amazonian culture scattered, scattered throughout, like there's the golden age of heroes that they talk about fighting Darkseed the first time and turning him away. And we see Zeus and Ares, <laughs> who is actually the villain later on, you know, in Wonder Woman. And we get to see them fighting alongside DC superheroes like Green Lanterns and stuff. And for me, I thought that, that was such a cool thing because dc has always been about how their superheroes are gods that's the big difference between dc and marvel marvel is this very grounded human characters who are imbued imbued imbibed i don't know what the word is guys whatever they're giving these great powers and they have to use them but like dc's are worlds of gods essentially and so they're literally fighting with actual, quote, pantheon gods in this battle. And it was just, it was really sick, in my opinion. And having the multiple 
references throughout this to the Amazonian and Atlantean cultures and how they were at odds for much of time and then getting to see you know, Diana have a great moment at Superman's gravesite when they're digging him up with Arthur to where they come together and they like realize they have one of the, a very similar saying from back home that kind of binds them together. And it, it helps them to realize like, hey, why are we fighting? Like, we don't have to be we're we're coming together because it's not about Amazonians saving the Amazonians and the Atlanteans saving the Atlanteans. It's about we're the two that are here to help save everybody. And they, they start to realize how much the same they are instead of just immediately thinking about each other in terms of that's my enemy, which is a fantastic theme throughout this because, hello, that's reality. That's what we do. We deem somebody our enemy and we don't even know that person. We have no idea how maybe we actually might be on the same page and that's what they start to learn. And so I just thought that how she was handled in this was so much better. Uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to see her have more weight, more importance, and, and more background to her and her story and just where she came from. So that's where I'm starting with. And if anybody wants to take it from there, did you guys agree with me on Wonder Woman? I guess I'll ask. Um, I agree with you um, greatly on Wonder Woman, and I kind of wanted to jump off of that and get to a character that probably got the biggest facelift in this film, and that's Cyborg. Um, there have been stories of Ray Fisher in the he had complained that most of the material that he had shot got left onto the cutting room floor, and that this pretty much hurt his career, the original version of Justice League, because he was pretty much just rendered into just a supporting part of the story when in actuality he's the most important character in this film and i was wondering the whole time the original version what the cyborg do um because the great thing about comic book films for me because i'm not a big comic book reader so i look to these comic book films to give me kind of a basis on what the character does how were they born what do they feel about the way they are now and how do they use their powers for good or bad and I saw in the original film that I didn't really get to learn anything about that about Cyborg. But in this film, I get to see how Cyborg's origin story was presented. Cyborg, um, Victor Stone, he was a talented quarterback. I think it was in college, I would say, in college. And you see that he has a good relationship with his mother, but his relationship with his dad is kind of estranged. His dad is very busy with his career, and he's not able to see him in his games. And he talks to his mother about this, and then there's a car accident. And Victor's mom dies, and Victor died in that same car accident. And then we see Silas Stone, his father, come and save him with the mother box. And throughout the film, before Cyborg is able to buy in to what Batman and Wonder Woman is coming to him with about the Justice League and being unity, he's struggling to be comfortable and confident in this new form he has. He sees himself as a monster, almost like a Frankenstein. He was once dead, now he's brought back to life, but he's not a human anymore. He's pretty much a cyborg. He's pretty much organic material mixed with matter from the from the mother box. And we see that his father, Silas, is trying to explain to him, which is very understandable because he lost his son. And as a parent, 
losing losing a kid would have to be one of the hardest feelings to encounter in your lifetime and you would do anything to want to save your kid from passing away before you do so i understand silas's motivation for bringing back his son but victor doesn't see that because he sees that his father was not there for him before when he was a human and it's him coming to grips with understanding what his father does and also understanding what he can do with this power and we see throughout the film that victor uses his power for good he has access to all of the digital systems in the world there's no encryption there's no firewall there's no security system that can protect him from hacking into the system and that makes him the most powerful hero outside of superman i mean he has the control of all the nuclear weapons in the world at the tip of a finger. I mean, he has the monetary system as child's play to him. And we see how he uses this to help a struggling mom in the film, which I think is honestly one of the best scenes because it shows how much of a good heart he has. He sees a, a single mom with two kids. They She has a job that's not paying her too much. She gets evicted out of her house. She hardly has any money in the bank. And he ends up putting thousands of dollars into her account changing her life and we get to see that he does have a good heart but he's still like fighting the fact of what his past life was and it's not until he has a conversation with wonder woman back to your wonder woman point aaron is that wonder woman tells him like hey i lost somebody who was special to me which is steve trevor from wonder woman and i had to fight and understand that the past is the past and I had to come to live my life and live my life in celebration of what that person did for me. And I hope that you can do the same. And I see that you feel that way. And eventually Cyborg comes along and he's able to become the most important member outside of Superman to help the Justice League. And I felt vindicated, not just for the character Cyborg, but also for Ray Fisher. I mean, think about if we were in his shoes, that in 2017, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know, you're be we want you to be cyborg in this new DC film. I mean, all of us would jump at the chance to do that. That's a big step and something that's probably destined to make a lot of money because it's superheroes. And to see him be able to have his moment, to understand why he was angry, to understand why he was speaking about the onset behavior and how the studio didn't believe in him, and to see that Snyder gave him a great template to be the most important part of this film he's not just a minuscule part he's not just on the sidelines looking and watching and saying these things we see him for what he is and we see all the powers he has and it makes me want a cyborg standalone film that was i think that's the biggest takeaway i have from this film is that i would want to see a cyborg solo film he strikes me as a very fascinating character and a great hero just to see what he does with the powers he has if i was him i mean i would be trying to look and see if bigfoot was does he really exist? I would try to look into the Warren Commission to see what really happened with the President Kennedy assassination. Like all of these secrets that he has at disposal, but he's using his powers for good. And we also get to see a developing father and son relationship that ends with Silas sacrificing his life in order to help his son. It's a beautiful thing. I think both of those characters really do get fleshed out quite a bit. Cyborg, obviously, because he doesn't have that much screen time in the original cut. I do think it's interesting, guys, that when there's a pairing off of getting the rest of the team together, we have the we have Batman going after Barry and we have Diana going after Cyborg, which I thought was 
odd because you would think a guy who's lost his parents in a tragedy would be able to connect with the guy who lost himself and his mom in in, in tragedy as well. But Kalesh, you brought up a great point that Cyborg needs a a feminine touch. He needs a he needs a delicate touch with what he's dealing with. Whereas you have Bruce Wayne who gets more into the look. I'm just going to come right out and say it. And of course, they don't really know the backstory, but I think Snyder really pairs this well because it makes sense in the long run that yes, it would make sense that Diana comes and is talking to Ray and that Bruce Wayne is talking to Barry Allen. And guys, it's no surprise from my standpoint, Barry Allen's introduction, his whole little mini arc of how we get to know him is absolutely fantastic. I love that Kiersey Clemens is in this as Iris West. Oh my gosh. was so excited to see this. And we talk a lot about the humor of the MCU. How does that play well in a really an, a, an overt drama? This is perfect. And I love the fact that in the original theatrical cut, the trailers that we got, that little future clip before the movie came out, the clip that we saw of Barry Allen interacting with Bruce Wayne, that was Snyder. That was Snyder's team of writers doing that. And we got more of that when he rolls into the pet store to get a jo job working with these dogs. And I'm watching this whole thing play out and I'm seeing how there's a huge, huge smile on his face. And it reminds me that you can have levity in a movie that's serious. I don't know that I felt any part of the movie was overly humorous relating to, related to the scene that they were in. So like, I think Barry Allen as a character represents who we would be if we got superpowers, right? Like, I think he represents the Spider-Man mentality of like, oh my gosh, I've got these superpowers. There's a great scene where Bruce Wayne comes down and uh, he's coming out of the Batcave with the whole team, sans Superman. And <laughs> Alfred's like, oh, what's going on here? He goes, I brought some friends, you know, and everybody kind of has their own little comment that they say to say to Alfred, I think Aquaman's like, this is badass. And Diana's like, hello, you know, whatever. And then Barry's like, this is so cool. That's what I would do, guys. This is this is how I would be. A guy with superpowers, a guy who can run faster than anybody is getting giddy that he's in the Batcave. And I think having a character like him who is sort of naive, who doesn't necessarily understand the the grandiose Thing that's happening here and sort of experiencing it firsthand like oh my gosh this really is a big deal it really feels honest it feels like we have a character that we can relate to because aaron as you said dc is all about the gods living among us and all of these characters are superhuman they're super heroes they really are you've got a goddess in wonder woman you've got the man of steel coming from an alien planet you've got a guy living in the sea and basically being king of the sea in Aquaman. And then you've got Kales, you've got Cyborg, who could really just manipulate anything in 2021. We're living in a digital age, so do not cross this guy if you can't, if you can help it. Become his friend because he will end you if he if he really wants to. So I look at Barry Allen as being sort of this odd man out, and I think that the oddness of who he is and what he represents really does balance out the team. And 
even he has quiet moments. There's the scene at the graveyard where he is talking to Cyborg and there's a human moment between the two of them. And it's intermixed with a little bit of humor. And I'm reminded that I don't always have to laugh when it comes to action superhero movies. And I don't think that's what DC as a property ever wants. So I think when we get those genuinely lighthearted moments, they feel less like we're trying to get a joke and more like we're like trying to contain some humanity in these moments. And so you've got Barry Allen and you've got Ray Fisher. And I say that intentionally because as the Flash and Cyborg, they're all metal. They're all steel. They're all machine parts. But as Barry and Ray, they're just two guys digging up the most powerful entity in the universe. And they're like, this is just weird, right? Again, that's how I would feel. And for me, I think that's why I gravitate towards Barry Allen, because he is that odd man out in a universe full of gods and goddesses that I think all of us as human beings can relate to. And to, to Marvel's credit as a property, it's what a lot of these heroes are centered around, normal people getting extraordinary powers. And in a world where we're living among gods, having somebody that has those powers is going to feel more natural to get giddy and kind of miss some things here and there or feel like, oh, gosh, I'm just, you know, I'm just who I am. And I thought that Snyder and company handled his little miniature origin story well. And Aaron, I mean, you remember me texting you when I was watching this, like, I'm, I'm ready for my Flash movie. I am ready for it. And I am excited and I can't wait for 2022 if it comes around because it's the unicorn in the DCU at this point. They keep saying it. It's going to come. So when I see it on the big screen or the small screen, that's when I'll know it's actually here. Yeah. And so the other, I mean, I echo all that. I mean, I absolutely love everything about the characters, Cyborg and everything about the flash. And he's a teenager. I mean, that's the key thing. He's a freaking teenager. <laughs> we, we tend to forget that. So that moment at the end of the battle where they're all lined up, the final shot, essentially, of them standing on this nuclear reactor, and they're all like in their superhero poses, you know, scowling at the world. And he is just this gigantic, stupid grin looking around. And then he you know, gives a fist bump to Victor. Their relationship is so heartwarming to me, right? And because Victor is also the youngest, right? Victor is... Barely, I mean, he's probably a teenager too. Maybe he's 20, 21 at the most. So they're closest in age. And I think that they understand each other. And, you know, also understanding everybody's got mama issues. Like everybody. It's not just Batman and Superman. Everybody has mama issues. Something has happened to their mothers in a way that has affected them all emotionally. And I love that about them because it gives them human connection for us as an audience member, a relatability, even though they're gods and these super powered beings. The one interesting thing about it for me was that I, I didn't feel like Batman got a ton more play here. And, and it's interesting. It makes me a little sad because I never got a Batman solo film from Snyder's vision that's not what Batman really is to him. And I think that was kind of where he's leading in his final epilogue. I think it would have been a very different Batman and it still would have been a solo film, but like more of this nightmare landscape stuff would have been more of like a Batman leading kind of thing. And in, in Batman, the Superman is the closest we get. 
I would have liked more. I still love what I get from Bruce Wayne in this. There's some extra nice little lines of dialogue that I really enjoyed. There's one great line that I remember very vividly where Cyborg is meeting Batman and he says, I heard about you. Didn't think you were real. And Bruce says, I'm real when it's useful. And I just thought that was fantastic. Like, yeah, that is absolutely awesome. And then his involvement in the final battle, I really enjoyed as well, which we can talk about when we get there. But like as a character progression, I don't think he got much more. And I think that there's a reason for that. I think it's because what Whedon did is Whedon focused in on the characters that make money. That, that people know, right? He focused in on the Batman and the Superman, and he wanted to, like, give you as much of those characters as possible because those are the draws. And those are, if you only got two hours, who are you going to cut? you going to cut Batman? you going to cut, you know, Superman as much as possible? No, you're going to cut Cyborg. You're going to cut the Flash and these fringe people that don't have as much fandom behind them because you're trying to sell a movie, right? And so, I, I mean, I think we got most of Batman's stuff in his movie, and we didn't get a ton more, but it does set the stage at the beginning really well with him, just him trying to go around and recruit people. I, I still enjoyed that immensely watching that, getting to see his conversation with Arthur. It was a little bit more extended. That was uh, enjoyable for me. And yeah, I mean, all these characters, I, I just love them. I, I love seeing them interact together and was really grateful. We got to spend more time with them and get more of their histories in this cut. Superman being the other of the five, the kind of one that they have to resurrect and bring back for the big ending, it actually takes over two and a half hours, I clocked it, until Superman is resurrected. And I wanted to know how that worked for you. I'm going to ask you first, Patrick, because you're the Superman super fan, as I mentioned, was it more impactful for you in this film when he comes back than it was in Whedon's film? And if it was or wasn't, I'm just curious, like, why that is for you? And do you think that this felt more like a, an appropriate follow-up to his arc that we've been watching in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman? Like, does this give you a feeling of completion that Whedon's didn't, or does it just give you more fun times with Superman and ultimately feel the same in the end. Yeah. I remember looking back on the Whedon cut and there was a scene in that, that was my connecting point, I believe. And it was obviously a, a Whedon scene because it was not in this one, which surprised me. And when you go through this, this narrative and you only get to see Superman after a two and a half hour hiatus, what I think it does, I wouldn't say it's necessarily more impactful. What I think it does is it adds a little bit more weight to his actual return. Because it would be something, I, and I, I think initially I would have liked this before seeing this cut, that the tension was about do we or don't we bring Superman back? And I remember having the conversation about it would have been cool to have an entire movie that dealt with the fallout of Superman being resurrected and being like crazy Superman that we got for those 10 minutes. That didn't change. And But what was surprising for me, Aaron, was the fact that it took getting to spend time with these other characters and the actual 
bringing them together with Superman being the the anchor for that. It would be easy to argue, well, who's the most important superhero in this? And you can make an argument for Superman. You can make an argument for Cyborg. You can make an argument for any of these other characters to an extent. But the fact is, I love the fact that we didn't spend those first two hours focusing on wrestling on whether or not to bring Superman to back to life because of the fact that that wasn't the point of the movie. It was to unite the league, not to unite the one man that's going to actually save us all. No, he's a key. Actually, he's not. Lois is the key. So bringing him back after that length of time, I think it was more impactful for me to get my head and my heart around these other characters, to fall in love with Cyborg, to fall in love with the Flash, to fall in love with the idea of the mother box and what that meant beforehand. DC as a property, I think does something that the other, that Marvel and other, other comic book properties don't do as well. And that's create grandiose mythologies and they do universe building. When we talk about the multiverse, which I was already hinted at, like in the first 15 minutes of this movie, we get this sense of a grand kind of idea, not just Snyder's vision, but the DC vision. And they do that really well. We get to spend a lot of time on, I can't remember the name of that home planet. I just call it No Man's Land, Wonder Woman's Planet, right? We spend time there. And even though it's not my favorite part, not really a big fan of like her world, the Amazonians, I still love the fact that we spent time there. And we spend time underneath the sea with Aquaman and his world. And if we didn't have those things, then we wouldn't be able to lead into caring about those characters enough so when they do face Superman in that small moment, which I thought would be longer, we wouldn't it wouldn't feel as impactful. And that's what did it for me is I it wasn't about the fact that we didn't get to see Superman for two and a half hours. It was about the fact that we got to see the league be feeling incomplete without him. And when we finally see that tension happen, then when he is stopped in his tracks by Lois Lane, that meant more to me. And then we see them fly off. And now, because Snyder is taking his time with all these other characters, I'm anticipating that he's going to take time with Clark and Lois. And of course he does. So that's what I really enjoyed. I love the fact that I can anticipate longer, quieter moments with Clark and Lois after that. And not just like, all right, he's back. Now he's going to get into his big red and blue suit and do his thing and make little quippy comments. <laughs> None of that happened, and I was better for it. Well, we saw that in the original version, there's that um, infamous opening of Superman, um, Henry Cavill with no mustache, and the CGI and all that. Uh, with this film, we get a complete turn where we see the ending of BVS that starts off this film, which sets off the events of the Justice League coming together. We already see that Superman gave his life in order to save Metropolis. And, of course, the super yell, yes, the yell that reverberated all across the world and that awakens up the mother boxes. And everybody here, we already understand the great impact that this guy has on everybody. And throughout the film, we all we already know that he's going to come back. We already know that Superman's going to come back. But 
the gravitas of it is built up like patrick said because we follow all of these other characters and we also get to see a couple of little small minor scenes with lois lane we get to see that she is struggling with grief with getting over losing the love of her life um there's the one scene where lois is sitting on the bed and she's going through pictures of her and clark Kent. we see a pregnancy test in the dresser which i thought was actually a nice touch it kind of had me interested um so we understand that the only person that can really get to superman and help him remember who he was is lois which also makes sense of bvs when the flash comes in through a nightmare for batman tells him that lois lane is the key and we see when superman comes back and he's kind of evil superman he doesn't know who these people are he's awakening and not really understanding what's going on lois is able to take him back to kansas and able to show him like this is where you come from this is where you learn most of your life lessons these are the people you care about like remember who you are and we'll get to later in the connecting points about his walk through the fortress of solitude and hearing um jonathan kent and hearing um jor-el and hearing their advice and everything and inspires him to come back with the black suit which honestly probably is my favorite moment of this movie and even batman when he talks about wonder woman tells him that dark side i mean he's faced so many people that have gone against him and batman's like i don't care who he's faced he hasn't faced all of us together and he realizes that we are powerful enough but we can't do this without that one guy we need that one guy back because i think it's hinted that steppenwolf he's afraid of superman they're all afraid of Superman. They they feel that it's easier to get the mother boxes while he's dead more than he's alive because there's no there's no way that he can beat him. And I'm also wondering if this settles the Superman versus Batman debate. Like I hate to pit these heroes together, but I feel that now we should acknowledge that Superman is better than Batman. But <laughs> outside of that, Superman wouldn't have even been there without Batman. That's my point. My point is that Batman smarts allows the plan to take. Yes, Batman's plan takes advantage of superman's abilities but without his plan the abilities never come into play so it's like chicken or the egg i kind of think doomsday would have taken over the rest of the world had superman not killed him but i'm just gonna (laughs) i mean yeah why you gotta go there why got why i have to bring it up hey we're having a conversation like you said so i'm bringing this up in the conversation with my boys (laughs) unfair but for me, I feel that in the weeding cut, I never got that sense of scale when it came to Superman's return. You kind of you kind of get the sense that, oh, yeah, Superman's back. We'll be like he's coming back to save the day. But in this film, you get just the awesome build up to that. And we get to see that this guy, he really is the messiah. He's the hero. He's all powerful. He's an alien. We, I mean, we even see how bad he whoops on Steppenwolf at the, in the final battle and just like how he just makes it look so easy. And it adds more to the, to the myth of him as a character. And it makes me sad that we're never going to get that Man of Steel too. Uh, that's, that's high on my wish list. And sadly, we're never going to get that. Yeah. I mean, I, we probably are not. And which is really sad. Because uh, I agree, I would have loved to have seen where this story goes, especially with, you know, you mentioned the pregnancy test and just to put it out there, Patrick alluded to it earlier, you know, when Snyder has talked about where he saw these stories going, it was going to be 
Lois and Clark's child growing up to not have any powers and having to reckon with that over the course of a long, you know, Man of Steel 2, Justice League 2 situation, and then all culminating years down the line in like a Justice League 3, where that son who has no powers is going to have to take up the mantle for Batman, who, as alluded to by Joker in the epilogue, is ultimately eventually going to have to make a sacrifice to save the world. And so but in, in Snyder's plan, like, that's what would have happened. That, to me, that's incredible. Like, that's not something I'm used to seeing. That's not, like, from my knowledge, straight out of a comic book. I don't know. Maybe it is, and it's just not one that I'm familiar with. But it's something that I was darn sure love to see, like Patrick said, even knowing what his idea kind of was. And, and I love that he plants those seeds, Coles. Like the pregnancy test, something so simple that says so much. And that's the detail that's all everywhere in this film, the pictures, the pregnancy test, like those little things. There's dialogue. There's a moment where Batman is talking to the Flash and he's talking about like different powers. And he says something about he kind of makes a joke about, you know, knowing gorilla sign language. It's a nod to gorilla grot like he's intentionally bringing in a Flash main villain into the world with this little bit of information it's such a broader storytelling that's what makes it epic that's what makes it incredible is there's these little things that are not just it's not just about it's about everything in the frame right there's so much going on and it's all with purpose and so yeah i anyway i love the superman uh, reveal in this one superman plays into our connecting points so there's really not a lot more to say about Superman at the moment, I would say. I agree with you guys completely. And we can get more to him uh, a little bit later. Let's talk about the villains. So Steppenwolf gets a major visual upgrade in this film, going from weird, like, Lord of the Rings troll, orcish looking, bland kind of thing and just kind of like, ah, me, Steppenwolf, me, Swing Axe. Kind of, that's how he felt. To a legitimately, like, significant threat, I thought, wearing this really slick, bright, shining, silver, spiky armor, like a hedgehog or something. And I thought that he carried the film very well, but ultimately I think it's the broadening of the story and giving us this whole picture that he is not just here on his own to take over earth, that he is being sent here and he is doing this because he is following the bidding of his Thanos like master Darkseed, right? We even get to see one of Darkseed's emissaries named Asad. So there's some more world building that is brought into this. We get to we really get a sense for me of the size of Steppenwolf. I, I didn't, feel that in the first film at all he just felt like an like a regular old like villain size wise to me he didn't feel that huge but i think in this one there's a great sense of scale between steppenwolf and the characters and then between steppenwolf and darkseed that is like oh my it really makes you understand how big darkseed is right and the threat that is looming out in the universe and we really get to understand like how it's Darkseed that is wanting to take over this, the Earth because of the anti-life equation and how he's tried before and failed. And so Steppenwolf is like this tool and 
if he doesn't succeed, it's going to be his head, essentially, which it ultimately is. And I thought that they did a really good job right up front to show the different mother boxes and, and really, I think, put into perspective the situation and the dire nature of what we are actually protecting in these three various cultures and why. And then, of course, later on, we get more explanation about what it is. And I think it's a pretty complicated topic. I, you know, I've seen people dismiss it and make fun of it and be like, oh, mother boxes, Zack Snyder's dumb. Why would you call him that? And then I've seen other people respond to that being like, bro, why are you going at Jack Kirby? Jack Kirby made the mother boxes. And yes, it's a comic book thing and they're using it. That doesn't mean it's not confusing or it's not perfectly understandable right off the bat, right? In Justice League, it's not made understandable for the audience in a, in a very clear way what is happening. The mother boxes, the unity, which I think it's pretty funny that the Justice League has to unite to defeat the unity. I thought that was kind of a real cool little uh, situation here. But there's a brilliant scene, probably one of my favorite additions to the entire cut, where Cyborg walks into this like holographic world and talks us through <laughs> the terminology and the situation of the mother boxes and what's happening. And because of that, I was so much more invested and I understood better at the end that the final battle worked better for me. So I, I liked it all. I liked the inclusion of Steppenwolf and how he played into this. I thought that the visual nature of the final battle was really awesome. There was a scene I texted Patrick and I actually can't remember. Did I send you a picture of it? I think I sent you a snapshot of it. I want to get a poster of this on my wall. It's when the Batmobile jumps into slow motion and all of the heroes are like outside of it running together and flying together next to it. And it, you know, Zach in his slow motion. And it's just, it is this sick looking shot of all of them going into action together. And so I loved all of that. And of course, Superman for me, his coolest moment in the movie is just all of a sudden he shows up and the axe swings down and just hits him in the shoulder and he just blows on it. And, and I mean, I just, I remember yelling out loud when I watched the movie. I was just like, it was one of those let's freaking go moments, right? Because that's what you need. You want to feel like your superhero is that powerful. And in this version, you feel like when Superman shows up and that happens, you're like, you're done. You're done, bro. <laughs> I mean, it may not be the most easy situation, but you're done. Like you're, he, you're toast. And I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have come uh, because he's going to get you. And he does. And you get to see all the great, like coordinated efforts. I will say the one thing I don't like about the whole villain and ending situation for me is the flash i understand the going back in time and i understand that we're probably doing that not only because it's kind of cool but also it helps set up flashpoint the idea that the flash can go fast enough to turn back time and may have to do that at some point in a bigger way than just to fix this small situation but there is something to be said about in the whedon cut the flash spins spins the battle going around saving civilians and there they make a very specific point of saying there are no civilians in this area it's deserted so they're going into this battle this time 
in a place where you don't have to worry about collateral damage. But in that first film, that's what Flash is doing. And it was pretty emotionally resonant for me. I thought it was one of the better parts of Whedon's cut. And that's not here. He just walks around. He just runs around in circles for most of the battle until the very end when he's already been hit. And then he has to charge up enough to go back in time and, you know, get Cyborg into the unity and let him undo the mother boxes coming together. So that was kind of the one slight little bit of thing that I kind of missed from Whedon's cut in the final battle. And I thought everything else about the way that the villain and the concept at play here was handled much better. I enjoyed it so much more. For me, Steppenwolf was another big upgrade. For one, the, the suit that's full of just like cuts and like armor on them it looks very badass i mean me my girlfriend even turned to me it's like if you even try to touch him you just probably just get a big gash on your hand or anything like that and i love the visual design of stepping of his face um i i've been on record saying that i hated the way that Stephen would look in the original version he just looked just all like just like a big slab of just mushy mashed potatoes that's been dried together and put together for a face but in this one you can see that he has emotion in his face you see him when he looks happy you see him when he looks sad when he looks disappointed when he looks full of rage and his journey throughout the film there's a bit of empathy for him because this is a guy and it's said from one of dark side's people that hey you could have been the guy that sat right beside dark side you could have been at the high table but you lost your chance because your ego your pride you betrayed us you made a lot of mistakes so now you're tasked to go around and just conquer all these planets in order to earn your favor and to get a chance to come back home he's pretty much in exile right now and he has to do the bidding of dark side in order to get a chance to See, maybe see his family again and see his people again. Maybe have a, a sense of prestige or respect. We've all been in a situation before where we have people who we care about and we do something that either disappoints them or makes them look at us in a different tone. And it doesn't feel so good. You know, it, we want to do something to redeem ourselves in their eyes. And I feel that's what Steppenwolf is trying to do. Because even if he does conquer Earth, he, they even say, you got 50,000 more planets left after this. 50,000 more planets. I mean, that is a lot of years, a lot of effort, a lot of violence, <laughs> a lot of bloodshed, a lot of a lot of people you see die. I mean, it, it, it can't be exciting. It can't be something that anybody would want to volunteer to do. So I love that we do get a sense of being compassionate towards Steppenwolf, even though he is doing this evil thing of trying to turn the Earth into a copy of Darkseid's planet. Um, the final battle is just amazing i mean it is phenomenal the visuals are more better we see that they changed the color palette to make it look a little bit more darker which i actually didn't mind the way it looked in the original but i like the darker color palette i did like that they kept the moment of aquaman surfing on a parademon down into a building um and seeing the flash do his thing and even with wonder woman Seeing her, even though before Superman gets along, they're losing the battle, but she is dealing damage and doing whatever she can, especially when she uses her shield, when she puts her bracelets together. Um, Aquaman is going around and with his trident, kicking butt, doing what he can. But when Superman comes in and he gets hit with the hammer and he says, not impressed, 
I literally hooted. I just hooted all throughout the house when that moment came up. And just seeing the way he was able to toy with him and just beat the brakes off of Steppenwolf. I mean, there's a point where he literally, like, just flies down Steppenwolf and just wailing on him the whole time. Just boom, 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 boom. And it was just funny to watch, just seeing Steppenwolf just down there, not able to do anything, but just, like, take the beating and and feel and see that he's defeated. And Aaron, I do see your point with the whole Flash turning back the hands of time. And I at first, I didn't understand it either because I'm not too keen on the Flashpoint stories from the comic book um speaking of flashpoint there is an animated film on hbo max i have my watch list that deals with the flashpoint paradox which i will get to to understand this more but i was just happy to see flash be able to do something more than just cracking jokes with a random russian family and just saving and just saving them i mean it works for other people but for me it just felt kind of limiting for his power and I was glad to see him have this big shift in helping Cyborg be able to stop the unity of the mother boxes and breaking them apart. And for me, also, it felt like the moment where we do see the heroes standing together after a long, hard battle and after they defeat Steppenwolf, it felt it was more earned this time around. I, I remember seeing it in the original, and I felt that it was kind of corny, kind of just like, poppy and very cheesy but with this one it felt like these guys really sacrificed they came together they were brought together by batman and they're heroes and this is them taking stock in what they did and realizing that hey we can protect the planet from anything and it's very beautiful yeah i'm gonna co-sign all that that you guys have said steppenwolf is definitely a great not only visual upgrade but character upgrade putting him as a subservient to Darkseid really amplifies the empathy that we have for him. And it wasn't much. It was reminiscent of some of the the weight that Thanos felt in terms of having to sort of fulfill a destiny. But what we got from Steppenwolf was a sense of indentured servanthood that would never end. That he had those 50,000 planets left. It was a telling reminder that Darkseid was just using him, that he was just almost like that son that you were not proud of, that son that was just completely worthless, that you were like, look, you're no good to me unless you do exactly as I say. And even then, you're probably not going to be that great. And at no point did I feel like, man, I wish Steppenwolf would succeed. No, because his his end game was to destroy. So as a human being living on this earth i'm definitely not going to be rooting for the guy to destroy it but he didn't feel flat like he did in the eden cut he didn't feel like oh steppenwolf i'm really scared of him and to me that final battle sequence was made a lot more epic because of the fact that we got strength from all these characters even before Superman shows up. And then when he does, it just adds that exclamation point to how much they need each other. Because Superman wasn't the one that turned back time. (laughs) Superman wasn't the one that necessarily pulled the mother boxes apart. I mean, this was really all on two other characters. Superman was in charge of punching the crap out of this guy and reminding him that there's a reason that you're afraid of me. And the fact that he's in a black suit, guys, that just made it so much better. I think that when you do something like that, 
it adds such a resonance of epicness to it that doesn't feel like a knockoff. It doesn't feel like, oh, we've got to make sure we're fitting a better tone that people are going to like. No, even the lines, not today, that felt more Snyder-esque as a line of humor than what we got in the Whedon cut. It felt like Henry Cavill would say that as Superman, as opposed to being fed a line where we're going to take this battle lightly. No, you're not. This guy and these mother boxes are going to transform the world into something terrible. And we've got to stop it. And I've always been, I said always, since these movies have come out, I've become less and less of a fan of the universe is in trouble and we've got to save it. Or the whole planet is in trouble. But the fact is, guys, the DC universe, that's their MO. That's what we get. And it's in those personal relationships, those pairings that we see throughout Justice League that reflect why I love the DC universe is that it's not about the fact that every week when I read a comic book or every month when I read a comic, it's going to be who's going to save the planet this time or who's going to save the universe this time. No, it's about how is Clark going to interact with Lois about this? How is Aquaman going to interact with Batman or Mirror or something like that in this issue or when we see these DC animated movies, which I think are just top notch all all over the place, all around, we use the the torrential like death and destruction of the universe and these these epic consequences and epic stakes to sort of backdrop what we really do care about. And it gives these characters a playground to play. In. And that's what I thought the final final battle really, really visually kind of articulated was the fact that we get to see power on display. We get to see the power of Superman, the power of Cyborg, the power of the Flash, the power of Batman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman on display. And just like Whedon's Avengers, we get to see them individually and then together. I've always said my favorite scene in the Avengers is the isolation of the New York battle with all these different characters in that single uh, camera cut. It's not a cut if it's a single cut. It's a single, the single camera thing going on. It's almost the same thing here, but in a Snyder-esque way, we get these isolated battles, these isolated highlight reels of these true superheroes, and then we get to see how all those isolated highlights come together and actually solve the problem. So to me, this was a dramatic upgrade from what I saw in 2017, and I think it was really uh, made well by how Steppenwolf was upgraded visually and from a character standpoint. Yeah, and then also the dialogue. I think you're right. I think what you are hinting at here, it, when Whedon makes things funny, it feels like you're supposed to laugh. Snyder doesn't make things funny. Again, he makes things epic. When when Superman shows up and says, not today, I'm not like, ha that's funny. <laughs> I'm like, you in trouble. <laughs> like... You're done. You know what I mean? It's an oh kind of moment, not a ha 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 kind of moment. The same thing happens earlier in the film with Barry. There's a sequence where it's all played entirely for laughs in the Whedon cut. And it's kind of awkward humor in this one, but it's got more of a serious feeling behind it. It just, it just feels very differently. But you also get those really great lines that further the characters 
psychological state that is what's so different about how Snyder ties that is all together because they're his characters. He built them. He understands them inside and out. And so it would have to be hard for we not knowing that to try and piece this together. So I will give that understanding. But things like make your own fortune, Barry, him hearing his father as he's, you know, trying to heal himself and go back in time to make this work because he's got to make it happen. Victor, I'm not broken and I'm not alone when he's facing the, you know, holographic versions of his family, which would be very incredibly difficult. Even into the epilogue, which we're going to transition to talking about, one of the things, you know, Aquaman just says, I've got to go see my father. He is, and which is how we get to the movie, right? But like, it connects these things because he's gone through this experience and it's made him feel like he needs to go reconnect with his parent. Not just, he's not just randomly doing it, right? He's not just showing up to see dad for no reason. It's because he just went through this incredibly crazy experience. And he also through that watched different characters deal with their own parental emotional problems and, and traumas and now he's like I, I need to go do this thing right and so i just love how they all get that kind of moment to come together and deal with that in this in the battle and in the epilogue kind of both together one or the other the epilogue itself which is super long i mostly liked the Initial part of the epilogue, I think, is phenomenal, which is Cyborg reassembling and listening to that tape from his father that he had previously smashed. And we're getting a lot of character wrap up with this awesome voiceover that's really emotional and moving and inspiring stuff. And I like that a lot, even though I don't know how he reassembled the tape deck. It's very strange to me how he put it back together. I just... I'm I'm assuming Flash is in the background, like reversing time or something. I don't know. But that was cool. Uh, you know, Barry getting to tell his dad about him getting a job at Star Labs is also, you know, a very nice little moment of closure. Like I said, Aquaman going to see his dad. We get to meet Ryan Choi, director of nanotechnology, which is another little Easter egg for DC. Uh, this is a character that will ultimately become a superhero named The Atom. We get the Bat Tank, which I flipped out when I saw and was like, I need more of that. We get the awesome thing with Superman and Bruce where he – this was in the Whedon cut too where he actually goes back and says, you know, how did you get my mom's house back? And Bruce <laughs> said, well, I didn't buy the house. I bought the bank, <laughs> which I think is the most – one of the most nonchalant, perfect Bruce Wayne line deliveries of any batman ever the way he says it it's just affleck is just like like he doesn't say it with any ego he says it just like it's it's like well it's almost like he's like embarrassed to say it kind of like he like he doesn't want to have to say it but like it's the truth and at the same time he's kind of proud it's it's a great line uh and and then ultimately you get the last moment of superman which i think is that's how i want superman to go out of if he's going out like, let's have him walking into an alley, ripping his shirt open, and being Superman. Like, that was epic. Again, epic. Like, that's how I need it to, to be. From there, we transition, and we get the stuff that, guys, I don't know why it's there. I, I don't. Like, we have the Lex Luthor 
on the yacht with Deathstroke setting up the League of Shadows, which was also in the Whedon uh, extra credit scenes or whatever for that cut. But since there's nothing coming, it feels kind of dumb and pointless and for no reason to be there because you're setting things up that are not going to feasibly exist that we, you know, to this point, it's been specifically said by WB, it's not continuing. So it just feels weird. And even more weird to me is the whole future hellscape where I don't hate necessarily the concept of the nightmare scape with, we have it's Mara, it's Deathstroke, it's Flash in armor, it's Bruce, and it's the Joker. And the concept here is that the world has been taken over by Darkseid, right? So he's come to find the anti-life equation, and essentially something has happened, and Joker is telling Bruce it's because he didn't have the guts to sacrifice himself. And he alludes to something really interesting about a Robin dying under Bruce's watch and angry Superman shows up, right? To like attack them is what it looks like. For me, again, I don't necessarily mind the idea of showing us what Justice League 2 would have maybe composed of and what the problem they would have had to solve and setting up some of these things like Bruce having to reverse flash having to reverse time bruce having to sacrifice himself to solve this problem and not let lois die it's the delivery i i just i hated it i i actually hated it like i i don't like i thought leto was worse as the joker here than he was in suicide squad maybe not in a look way but i just thought it was so out of place the way that it's shot the tone of it the the dialogue is campy and gross he makes a joke about bruce something about a reach around i have no like it, there's nothing at all like that in the dialogue of the last four hours i just watched it felt so out of place and unnecessary to me and so it really kind of was like i wish i'd just stopped uh the movie and luckily after that bruce wakes up and we get to see martian manhunter which is cool for like five seconds. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, did the did the epilogue bother you guys? Because for me, I think when I watch this in the future, I'm just going to turn it off when Superman walks into that alley, and I'm going to say this was a perfect film. The epic log, the epilogue, when I first saw it, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't know exactly what was really going on. I had a feeling that it had something to do with the nightmare, you know, dimension of what however it's called i mean i'm not too keen on the comic books and everything but i just found a way okay there's flash then there's mara then there's joker and a bulletproof vest and i'm like okay and there's deathstroke and i was like okay i understand why all these other people are here but why is joker here he doesn't have any powers i mean the only thing he can really do is just use a gun but what can a gun do against dark side and his minions who they're going to fight and I found his dialogue to be very hard to understand until I watched it the second time around. And then I really didn't understand the purpose of him being in the scene. And for me, I can understand if there is a Justice League 2 on the way, but Warner Bros. is not saying anything about that being on the way. And, you know, who knows that that's going to be greenlit. So I feel that it's almost fan service and kind of useless if there's not going to be any follow-up to it. 
Um, now, for me, if there is a Justice League 2, then maybe I can go back to it and probably read something into it. But other than that, for me, once the final battle ends, that's pretty much the end of the film for me. Now, everything else dealing with Batman and, you know, Superman and then Flash and, you know, Martian Manhunter and Cyborg. Now, all those parts are done well. I like those parts. I, I especially love seeing Martian Manhunter, especially in the in the original four-hour cut. But the epilogue for me is not really mandatory for me or, or anything important. I kind of just skipped over it, especially on this um, second go-around. I didn't mind the epilogue that much, but like both of you, when you're not going to pay it off at some point, you're really just kind of adding bonus features. That's what I felt like it was, knowing that we're not getting anything after this. It seems a little bit like a pie in the face to the audience because of the fact that they've been clamoring for this cut. They got the cut. And while technically that epilogue and all the footage was probably part of that cut, it was intended to be a jumping off for future production and so if i'm the director i'm probably saying you know what if this isn't happening this isn't necessarily appropriate i didn't mind either bit i thought they were both pretty good jared leto i'm not keen on as well uh, i don't but i but i understand that that moment or that scene sort of ties back to a longer running Superman arc that Snyder wanted this idea that Superman is going to be bad or he's going to be taken over by Darkseid at some point and we get that but again if you're not going to provide that if you're not going to be able to deliver at that point you just want to say let's cut it off let's give the fans what they've asked for let's give them that complete story we don't have to be that complete let's leave that for the bonus content let's put that on the DVD Say, hey, here's what the vision would have looked like, and talk about it. you can. I would, I would not mind at all hearing Zack Snyder talk through the epilogue, have that as bonus content, and have him do some commentary on it. Here's what we were thinking when this happened. Here's what we were planning, and you know, bringing Leto in. We were planning on this to happen, and we wanted this specific line to be said. I would love that, but like you, Aaron, my next watch is probably going to stop with Superman. <laughs> coming out of his, his suit and credits roll at that point. One thing I wanted to mention, um, in case you didn't notice this, there's a, a scene where Batman's driving off and I'm, you, by you, I mean, listeners, there's a scene where Batman is driving off onto an on-ramp to get on the interstate. And he passes a billboard that says you are not alone. And it's an, uh, it's a suicide prevention billboard. And I thought that that was a really neat mindful touch by Snyder considering the reason why this now exists in the way that it does um, for his daughter uh, who had committed suicide while he was fil filming the original cut. And so I just thought that was a really sweet way to put something meaningful and impactful into this film um, that also paid tribute to her. Were there any other Easter eggs or cameos or anything like that that caught you guys' eye? Mines was uh in the historical battle that we see, we see the visual of Green Lantern coming through, and we see that the creature who is carrying Green Lantern when he dies, the ring flies off. And for a second, for me not knowing the comic books, 
I was wondering that if Darkseid was able to get a hold of that ring, would he become a Green Lantern? But, of course, in our Facebook discussion group, our spoiler thread for Snyder Cut, I got educated on that. But I thought it was interesting. And, you know, I was one. I wonder, I had that question, like, I didn't know that the ring would be looking out for someone who is worthy of it. I thought that if anybody just gets the ring, they could become a Green Lantern. So that was an interesting wrinkle for me, and it has me excited for anything to do with Green Lantern in the future. I heard that HBO Max is doing a um, full-length series on the Green Lantern, like the corpse itself. So I'm going to be on the lookout for that. I liked uh, Martian Manhunter, and not just the tease that we get at the end, but his little transform from martha i thought that was pretty fantastic um so not much else from there i think some of the stuff that i fell in love with was pretty obvious and uh yeah that was probably it for me all right well let's move into our connecting points then and wrap this up patrick i'm gonna let you go first because yours comes first chronologically okay well mine was the moment that we get in the cornfield with Superman, Martha, and Lois. And this is just after Superman has left uh, from being resurrected. He's ha- He has already had a conversation with Lois regarding being, uh, you know, I guess your answer is yes, because he sees the ring on her finger. And it's a couple of scenes later. And I'll just be straight with you guys. I mean, because it's Superman, it was probably going to be my connecting point anyway. But there's a number of things about this scene that makes me emotionally resonate with it. First of all, Zimmer's score, Zimmer's Superman theme is perfect with the piano and the four notes that just get repeated. Oh gosh. I just, I, I, I get chills hearing it. And we see Clark and Lois in the cornfield. He's kind of playing with that butterfly it's just delicate, right? You got this guy who cannot be destroyed by anything on this earth, and he's playing with this little butterfly, and he's smiling at Lois, and then we see Martha come up, and we see her reaction to a mom whose lost son has been found. And the smile on his face and the smile on her face puts a smile on my face. Because... I love Clark as much as I love Superman. I think his persona matters equally as much as Superman. And the love that he has for his mom is, it knows no bounds. Plus, for me, Diane Lane is going to be my Martha. (laughs) She will be, I, I don't think anybody tops her for me. And knowing that she's gotten her son back, He embraces Lois and Martha and he says, look, I was brought back for a reason and I have to do this. And and they know that they recognize that. But he also tells them sort of an indirect way. I know what I have to do and I'm not going to let people down this time. Like whatever, dude, you didn't let people down last time. But it's that moment that I think both Martha and Lois they don't just realize that, oh yeah, they've got Superman in their midst, but the fact that his purpose is something that they want to fully embrace. And so having him put his arms around both of them, knowing that these are the loves of his life, these are the women in his life that give him the strength that that he has, the human strength that he has, really, really add so much more context to 
his character. And of course, it makes what we see next in the next several scenes that much better. What about you, Coles? Where did you land? Now, for mines, um, mines was mostly Superman donning the black suit, which is pretty much him just coming back to form again. Um, what I like is the buildup we get with this scene. You know, after he has the conversation with Lois and Martha, he goes through to the Fortress of Solitude. And while he's walking through the long hallway, getting ready to put back on the suit, he hears quotes from Jor-El. He's hearing quotes from Jonathan. And it brought back to me the mind of Man of Steel, which before this film was my number one film of the DCEU because it felt like we were, it felt like it was the first film that humanized Superman to the core. You know, often the complaint that I hear about Superman in most films is that, how can I connect with him? I mean, he's alien. He's a guy who's unstoppable, pretty much. He can't be hurt by bullets. He can't be hurt by fire. He has laser vision. He can fly through the air. I mean, he has superhuman strength. None of us have that. So how am I supposed to connect with him and feel with him like a human being? And I felt that Man of Steel was the first film that did that. So I was getting harking back to that feeling of watching that film and seeing the journey that this man has taken to protect a world that at first and may still in some parts may not fully understand him who may not want to gel with him because he is an alien but we see it we see that this film starts with the ending of bvs where we see him sacrificing his life and him coming back and him still having that journey of finding himself and i feel that now at the end of this film he truly has come in the form of who he is and the black suit is just uh indicative of that development and him and then you hear the score that doom 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 you hear that score and it immediately sets you in a good place you know that things are going to be all right you know that superman is here to save the day and then we see him fly up in the air and we get this great shot of him in front of earth and he's obscuring the sun and it honestly i really would i you know the every frame of painting honestly this is a frame that i would have as a painting of superman right there in front of the earth obscuring the sun and just being a messiah being the ultimate hero you know being the man of steel and i felt and then he's ready to go and help save and help join the justice league and save the day and you know like we said before, this film really shows the power of Superman and that he's not just a guy who's just going to come in to save the day. I mean, he goes, he's gone through resurrection. He's died before. He's trying to still figure out, understand who he is. And I felt that by the end of this film, he's back to being the Superman we knew and loved at the end of Man of Steel. Yeah, mine is the same as yours, Coles. I won't have a lot to add, but I just I completely agree. And like you said, Patrick, and we've talked about offline before. You know that score, that cue is what it's called. The theme that the, those four notes <laughs> really that Zimmer wrote for Superman. It, it is one of my favorite little pieces of music in history. It never fails to evoke an emotional reaction from me when i hear it i cannot help it like it is legitimately involuntary and when we see him go back to the fortress after having these impactful touching moments you know with his mom with lois like you were talking about 
And for me, it's just, again, the the totality of that as well. But he's walking around and he's listening to these replays of dialogue from the Man of Steel, from BVS, from his two dads, from both Jor-El and from Jonathan. And it is just uh, an incredible, like, coming together of his story and of his life. And like you said, Kales, it's all about like how he is here to love the world and protect it. And, and him finally embracing that, not doing it because the villain shows up in the middle of his fight with Batman. And so he kind of has to, but like, it's because he knows that he's needed and he has to fulfill a responsibility and a duty and because he wants to. And when he puts his fist down and we hear him, I think it's Jonathan actually that says it. And he says, fly son, it's time. I lost it. Like I, I just like, I just, I'm like an emotional wreck. Like those are the kind of superhero moments that if you properly build up to them, they have that resonant impact. And that's what Whedon's cut was missing didn't understand how to take and transition from Batman v Superman and Man of Steel, Clark Kent, Superman character to give us that feeling. But Snyder does. And it's amazing. And like you said, Kales, I'm with you. Other than the Batmobile shot, that's the other shot in this movie that I remember well enough to want a poster of is him standing or not standing, but hovering in the atmosphere with the sun behind him, looking over the world realizing like this is my domain this is what i'm here to protect and now i'm gonna go do that and then for us to like move into that moment the next time we see him with the axe hitting his shoulder and get that oh my god feeling it just it's perfect it's perfect perfect transition so yeah that was mine as well um so it sounds like we're all big superman fans <laughs> now patrick you can't be the only one i'm sorry that's fine. The more the merrier. <laughs> Unite the league. Unite the Superman fans. <laughs> well, that's all, folks, for this episode of Feeling Film. We appreciate you giving us a slice of time out of your day or night. And if you want to keep the conversation going or give us your thoughts, find us in the awesome Feeling Film Discussion Facebook group. Aaron, Patrick, thanks for another great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.